here again, actually 1 Peter chapter 1 and the beginning of 1 Peter chapter 2 as we continue to walk through this book. Um, call to holiness, a call to righteousness, a call to walk with God. And Peter here in this section, as we're going to see, uh, builds off some of the doctrine that he's told us in chapter 1. Uh, but he gets very, very practical in some areas in this in this chapter, especially in the beginning of chapter 2, about what this looks like, about the transformation of what our life is and should be if we are to walk in holiness and to walk with Christ. So if you found 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm going to begin reading in verse 22. I'm going to finish that chapter and go to chapter 2, verse 4. So let me invite you to stand as we read the word of the Lord together. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Chapter 2, verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we again thank you for your word, and thank you that we can gather around it to see your face and to walk closer to you. Draw us to you this afternoon. Use us for your kingdom's work. If there's one here who does not yet know you as Savior, may today be the day that you bring conviction to their life and repentance to their heart. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Thank you all. Well, it's still January, so it's still New Year, right? Which means we can still have New Year's resolution. I, I guess that's still a thing. I don't know. But one of those popular New Year's resolution is one we've probably all made or have certainly know somebody who's made, and that's to get healthier and to lose weight. Now, certainly I'm not suggesting that that's a bad thing. Every time I go to my doctor, she tells me I need to lose weight. Um, I've tried, but I'll admit some do I try hard enough, nor do I try long enough. But in the rush to lose weight, there are dozens, if not hundreds, of diets that we can try. There's the old faithful ones like Weight Watchers and Atkins and those kinds of things. There's even apps now for your phone. And you can even access personal coaches through video presentations on your treadmill. I'm sure most of them have their merits. But many of them are what we might call a fad diet. They do not, cannot, and will not ever work. Some of them are pills that claim to melt the fat off your body while you are sleeping. 
These are not only not healthy, indeed they are unhealthy and actively harm your body. Peter had a similar concern, not so much for our physical bodies, but for our eternal souls. And this is where we'll pick up here in 1 Peter. We're going to step back. I mentioned some of chapter 1 last week. <clears throat> We're going to step back and look at some of that passage again so that Peter can give us a formula for a healthy, a holy spiritual diet. As we read this passage, I read it just a moment ago, but as we read this passage, I want us to see Peter's use of one word. He uses it three times in this text, three times in these verses, and it's the word pure. He says, purify your souls in verse 22. He says, a pure heart later in verse 22. And then in chapter 2, verse 2, he talks about pure spiritual milk. <clears throat> Peter here is making a deep contrast between the purity and holiness that we are to desire and long for as opposed to to a number of vices that he mentions and tells us to put them away. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. I want to dissect this passage a little bit and then I want to talk through what it means pursuing purity of heart. First of all, purity of heart is, is predicated on the eternal plan of redemption. On God's eternal plan. This takes us all the way back to chapter 1, verse 2, where Peter says, According to the foreknowledge of God, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for the sprinkling of His blood, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. <clears throat> Beloved, there is no biblical plan for self-purification. That comes only in God's providence as we are born again. Born to obedience, as verse 22 says, born to obedience to the truth. What truth is Peter referring to here? The truth and this is permeated all through the opening chapter here. The, 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 the truth is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our souls are purified through Christ's death, through his resurrection, according to the eternal plan of God and the eternal sanctification, the eternal setting aside of God's people by the Holy Spirit. Here alone, are we capable of any obedience, but especially obedience to love one another, as Peter says, earnestly. We are continually purified by the pure, or as Peter says, by the imperishable, living, and abiding Word of God. Notice the contrast he offers. He goes back to the Old Testament prophet Isaiah 
Isaiah chapter 40, and he says, the grass and the flowers of the grass. He mentioned those, and he tells us that they are withering and they are falling away. In other words, the things of this world, the things of this world are, are withering. Our lives, our flesh, our bodies are like that withering grass. We're passing away. We're falling to the ground. This is what sin does to us. It makes us perishable. But Peter says, the pure word of God, the abiding word of God, the living word of God is imperishable. It remains forever. The purified heart comes about by the purified word. That is how our souls are purified to love. To love with a sincerely, a sincere brotherly love of fellow Christians and even of the world around us. This imperishable word links all the way back to verse 2 to our imperishable inheritance. The living hope of Jesus Christ raised from the dead, undefiled, unfading, and I love this, kept in heaven for you, guarded by the power of God. That is the imperishable inheritance built on the imperishable word. When Peter says, be holy, he says, be holy in the context that though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. He says, be holy. The word of God alone produces holiness in us in that suffering, in that grief, in those trials. Remember Jesus' words to the Pharisees in John chapter 5, verse 39, when he told them, You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, but it is they, it is the scriptures that bear witness of me. The Apostle Paul affirms this truth as well in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 and following, when he tells Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you, whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation. Through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture, Paul goes on to say, is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, fully equipped for every good work. God makes a pure soul and a pure heart through his eternal plan that we 
would be born again by, as verse 25 says, by the good news preached. By the gospel preached. Peter's primary concern for these Christians is that their faith and hope are in Christ and that their security in suffering is found in the purification of their lives to be holy in the word of God. And this leads us to the most significant contrast that Peter offers in this section of his writing. We find it in 1 Peter chapter 2, the opening verses, when Peter says this, So put away, <coughs> put off, all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy, all envy, and all slander. And like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Beloved, our flesh lives free. Again, Jesus confronts the Pharisees in John chapter 8. And he says, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are your father. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, Jesus says, you do not believe me. And just in case we're feeling a little self-righteous and attacked, I remind us of what Paul describes us, of the way Paul describes us in Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of of the power of the air, <clears throat> the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and our mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So when Peter opens up chapter 2, he wants us to fully grasp the notion of holiness before God. And he says we must put off the ways of the world. Paul tells us in Romans 18 to put them to death. If you, if you live according to the flesh, Paul says, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, then you will live. And Peter lists five vices 
that we must put away. The first of those is malice. Malice. Malice is that which is evil. The word just simply means badness. It's depravity. It's wickedness. And it's especially evil and depravity and wickedness aimed towards another person. Malice is wishing and even working for evil to come upon a brother or sister in Christ. <clears throat> One author writes this, It is shocking to think that believers who have been loved by God and dealt with so mercifully by the judge of the earth should have within themselves malice towards one another. But sadly, malice attitudes, malicious attitudes still exist. They still exist in the local church. They still exist between churches and they still exist in our hearts. Beloved, even Christians and people we don't agree with on all or maybe any point of doctrine, all those people deserve our respect. They, they, they deserve our love. There is never a place, never a place for a child of God born again in the hope of Christ to desire badness to come upon another person. Peter says, put away malice. Next, Peter says, put off all deceit. Some translations use the word guile in this place, in, in place of this word. This is the act of treating one another with cunningness or craftiness. It's trickery. It's the opposite of purity. Deceitfulness is the descriptor of the serpent in the Garden of Eden who tempted Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty or deceitful than any other beast of the field. Deceit is the destruction of integrity and honesty in our conversation and in our relationship. Remember how prominent truth is to Peter in the previous verses as he told us to obey the truth that leads to a sincere brotherly love. Deceit destroys brotherly love. And Peter says, put it away. Next, Peter tells us to put away hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is closely related to deceit in that at its root it is a false narrative. Hypocrisy is a false narrative of who we are. Deceit is a manipulative effort to take advantage of someone else. Hypocrisy is a manipulative effort to present yourself as someone you are not. Our world is filled with people, both those who profess no faith and those who profess Christian faith. Our world is filled with people who live 
in their own make-believe world of entitlement and privilege. We deserve, so we put on the show hoping we'll get all of our wants and all of our desires. Hypocrisy has led to the rise of identity crisis in our culture. It has led to the rise of narcissism in our world, in our churches, and in our pulpits. The hypocrite cannot love his brother because he doesn't even know himself, let alone the love that God has for him. Put hypocrisy away. Next Peter tells us to put away envy. Envy is the root of covetousness, which Paul says is the root of idolatry. Envy is the heart longing. It is a yearning for the possessions of someone else. Especially longing for the possessions of someone else at their loss. Envy is the tearing down of a brother as opposed to the building up. Yes, it has as its root a spirit of jealousy, but it digs much deeper into this all-consuming bitterness towards one another. Envy destroys. It is self-centered, self-focused love, and it destroys our capacity to love one another. And so Peter says, put it away. And finally, Peter says, put away slander. Put away slander. Speaking falsely and evilly. I don't know if that's a real word or not. I made it up though. Speaking evil, falsely, of another. The simplest expression of brotherly love is speaking words of grace and encouragement. Slander is not only the opposite of this, but it is the abuse of our words aimed at another person. And Peter says, put it away. Put away all malice, all deceit. Put away hypocrisy, put away envy, and put away slander. Beloved, when the church feeds on this diet, on the diet of malice and hypocrisy and envy and slander and deceit, when the church feeds on this diet, we no longer need to worry about the suffering and the persecution that comes from outside the church because we will destroy ourselves. We will eat ourselves alive from the inside out. And herein lies the contrast that Peter makes. Put away these things so that like newborn infants, We will long for pure spiritual 
meal. Pure spiritual nourishment. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Friends, this is like feeding poison to a baby. So we ask ourselves in this passage, what are we nourishing our souls on? What are we nourishing our souls on? Are we feeding on malice? Are we feeding on deceit or hypocrisy or envy or slander? Maybe it doesn't look exactly like those vices. Maybe we try to grow our church or our ministries or even our personal platforms through controversy or conspiracy. Maybe, maybe we're showing up to every fight we're invited to and degrading and demeaning other image bearers of God whom Christ died for because their lifestyle or their worldview or their politics is different from ours or even contrary to the Christian faith altogether. Maybe we're living. Maybe we're living on the edge of anger and violence. We're a walking time bomb, never knowing when and where we're going to explode all, all over some unsuspecting loved one or even a stranger. Maybe we're really trying to live better lives, but deep down, deep down we know it's just a ruse. It's a game we're playing with ourselves. It's a game we're playing with our families. It's a game we're playing with our church. Remember, deception is one of the vices that Peter says to put away. And yet the easiest person in the world for you to deceive is yourself. Maybe we want the spiritual life that someone else has or at least appears to have. So we attempt to conjure up whatever spiritual, spiritual juices they are claiming is working for them so that we can have them too. And when all else fails, when we disagree with someone, especially with a church or a spiritual leader, we just tear them down. Sometimes it's passive-aggressive social media posts. Sometimes it's more blatant and more direct. Beloved, this is attempting to nourish the soul. The soul purified by Christ and born again by the Spirit. This is attempting to nourish that soul with poison. And Peter says, put it away. Instead, he says, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk. <clears throat> he told us what that pure spiritual milk is earlier in chapter 1. It is the imperishable, living, abiding Word of God. That is how He gave us new birth. That is eternal nourishment that will sustain our churches, our families, and our lives. This is what Peter means when he says that by it, by the pure spiritual milk, you may grow up, you may mature <coughs> into salvation. He's not talking about regeneration here. He's not talking about our being saved. That happened when we were born again. Here Peter is talking about the continuing work of God 
in our sanctification. Our growing in obedience into the likeness of Christ. Verse 3 verifies this when Peter says, If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. The if here is not a conditional clause. It could be translated as since or because you have been tasted, you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now it should cause us to pause. It should cause us to ensure our walk with the Lord is true. Peter is going to call us to this kind of self-reflection later in 2 Peter chapter 1 when he says, Brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. But the contrast Peter here is offering us to evaluate is how the purity of our hearts measures up to the purity of the living hope that we have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The imperishable inheritance that's being guarded in heaven for us right now. Newborn babies long for, they desire, they hunger for pure milk. Beloved, we, we believers, we Christians, we who have been born again as children of God, our longing, our desires, our hunger is to be for pure spiritual milk. Once we have tasted the sweet purity of God's Word, the bitterness of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander should never find enjoyment in our taste buds Again, we come to Christ who was rejected by men and we share in that rejection, verse 4 says. But because we've been rejected by this world, because we abhor the taste of wickedness as the poison that it is, the rejection of this world and its ignorant ways inherited by us through sinfulness means that we are chosen and we are precious to God. The next section of this passage is going to tell us that he is building us into a spiritual house. The pure an abiding word of God preached faithfully lived diligently and drank deeply this is holiness this is the path to holiness this is the hope of the church for holiness Anything less is poison. And Peter says, put it away. I'm going to close with Psalm 15. Psalm 15 this afternoon. 
I pray that it is both our prayer and our conviction as we strive for the kingdom of God, as we strive for the holiness of God, and as we strive for the pure heart of God. Psalm 15. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly does what is right, speaks truth in his heart. He who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor nor takes up a reproach against his friend in whose eyes a vile person is despised but who honors those who fear the Lord who swears to his own hurt does not change who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Father, that is our question. Who shall dwell on your holy hill? Who can sojourn in your holy tent? We know from the Apostle Peter, we know from the New Testament that the one who dwells in your presence is the one who has been born again, who has come to you in repentance and faith, who has put away the ignorance of the old life, who has put away the malice and the envy and the the hypocrisy and the deceit, put away the slander, the one who dwells in your holy heel is the one who desires your pure spiritual milk and there finds nourishment and finds eternal nourishment in your presence and in your Son. Father, the struggle with this passage is that every one of us struggle with those vices to some degree or another, in one way or another. There is still a battle that is raging within us between the spirit of life that you have given us and the desire of sin that our flesh still exists in. And so it's easy for us to fall into a malicious intent. It's easy for us to fall into hypocrisy or deceit. And so I would pray, Father, that we would hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake. And as we do, you would fulfill your promise that we would be filled. That our hearts would be purified, our souls would be purified, our lives would be made holy in all of our conduct that we would recognize that like the grass and like the flowers, this 
this body, this flesh, this life of ours is falling away. But we have in you, we have in Christ a living hope that's secured in his death and resurrection. And so, Father, my prayer, our, our invitation, if you will, our, our challenge as we gather around your table in just a moment, as we, as we come to a place where we're being confronted by your word, our challenge is, first of all, that we know we, that we know you, that we know we know you, and that as we do, we see how we are putting these things off and taking on the likeness in obedience to Christ. And so I would pray for the one who is lost that this moment today would be the day that they are redeemed by your grace, by the gift of eternal life. And for those of us, Father, who do know you, I would pray that we are ever challenged in our own sinfulness to put these things away, to earnestly love our brother, and to walk with you in grace and hope, and to walk with you in holiness. We trust you and we love you. In Jesus' name.